Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, I'm Chris Avina with American Outdoor News. Today we're here with Jim Wiggins from Bowden Tactical. Jim, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Chris. So, like uh, like we were just discussing, they were telling me that you're the you're the gun guy at uh, at Bowden Tech. <laughs> yeah, that's what they call me. Uh, you know, um, I've uh, been around guns all my life. I grew up. Uh, my dad was a big hunter from Pennsylvania. My grandpa was a hunter. My whole family, you know, was in the hunting lifestyle. So, uh, you know, my first gun as a child was the Red Rider BB gun. And that's you know, what my dad used to teach me gun safety. And I took the hunter safety course when I was 10. And you know, I, I started hunting squirrels and rabbits and different things with a uh, small game with the uh, my cousins and my dad and eventually started deer hunting and, uh, joined the military and got my first exposure to uh, uh, fun guns. And uh, then, you know, right. and then from there, it, uh, it's progressed to uh, not only a lifestyle, it's a uh, way of making a living now. So, you know, what do you think about the new, uh, well, they're always after some type of gun control legislation, but now they're looking to rope in the financial institutions where uh, if you purchase um, a firearm, ammunition, anything along those lines, the credit card companies will catalog it under a certain code. So now all the government has to go do is go to these credit card agencies and say, uh, what do you have under code ABC? And all our names would come up, all our information, 
uh, all the data so they know where to go. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if that really makes a difference or not. You know, um, I mean, I've been, uh, I, I've been buying parts. I've been buying ammunition. I've been doing, you know, all this stuff online. Um, I'm sure that if they wanted to go back and search those, they could figure out what I was buying. Um, is giving it a certain code make any difference? I don't know. I, I mean, I, like I said, I I guess I'm the, the government knows I'm a gun owner. At this point in my life, I've, yeah. not, I've not tried to hide it. So if they wanted to find out, uh, you know, uh, I, I buy a hunting license every year. I buy guns. I, I go through background checks. I have a CCW permit. They know I'm a gun owner. So, yeah, um, but for the average guy, right? Uh, you the know. guy that's going out and buying one gun because he wants to protect his family, uh, protect his house. Um, yeah, now suddenly they know he's on the radar. Well, and on the flip side of that, if you shop at Cabela's or, or, um, uh, Bass Pro or one of the big box stores and you go shopping in there, that's going to be cataloged under the same thing, whether you're buying fishing equipment or a barbecue or clothing, it's still going to be cataloged under if you bought a gun. So even if you didn't buy a gun, you're still being profiled. Yeah. I didn't realize they were doing that. I thought they were just, I, I, I had read a little bit about it. Um, I thought they were just kind of trying to create that database of gun owners. And uh, Well, they're always trying to do that. Yeah. <laughs> we're uh, we're uh, the minority. Yeah, we are. Uh, there's not as many... Uh, there's not as many, but there's more than you. There's more than you think. You know, um, we we are a minority, but man, there's a lot of us out there. I, I know, even the casual gun owners, man. That you know, the, like I said, the guy that just owns one to protect his house or or to have something around the house, and that number really escalated in the last couple of years. You know, with all the uh, the, the covids and the riots and the different things yeah. that were going on and. You know, a lot of people went out and bought their first gun. Have you seen an increase in business since uh, uh, pandemic and all the riots and whatnot? It's um, it's leveled off a little bit in the last probably four to six months. Uh, you know, when COVID first started and then, you know, obviously the civil unrest that we had with the George Floyd case and the different things going on there. Um you know, the, we, it just, it went through the roof. It was, you know, we couldn't keep up. We, we just literally could not keep up. Um, and, and it has leveled off. It's, uh, it's, it's steady right now. It's not crazy. It's just mm -hmm. a very steady business right now. Well, I know here in New York, um, you know, we just had groundbreaking uh, Supreme Court decision about concealed carry. And our um, stand-in governor, I'm not going to call her my governor because she's not my governor. Uh, I didn't vote for her. <laughs> she pushed through some legislation um, without provocation, without data, without anything to back it up. And she came right out and said, I don't need the data. This is what I think is best. Uh, right. so basically, 
you can't own a semi-automatic weapon. So whether you're a duck hunter, uh, whether it's a shotgun or a, a handgun, a, a Glock, a SIG, or you know something semi-automatic, uh, an AR, not allowed to not allowed to own it. I didn't. I, I hadn't heard that they had uh, gone that far. I know when they when the Supreme Court came down with the reading or the ruling about um, you know the, the the right to conceal carry uh, and not having to show just cause to get a permit. Um, I know she had talked about you know well you can't carry in this area or that area and blah 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 blah. You know, kind of kind of pretty much. She gave a whole list of uh, basically yeah. you can't walk out of your house. <laughs> right. right. I, I, I had not heard that they had actually or that she had banned or was attempting to ban actual class of weapons like that. Yeah, anything semi-auto uh, is now illegal. Uh, and she took it a step further. If you want to buy ammo, you got to go through a background check. Wow. That's crazy. So she's really trying to uh, either restrict our constitutional right, or she's trying to drive people out of New York. <laughs> uh, the uh, I'm sure that one's going to end up in the Supreme Court as well. Yeah, and uh, and if she loses in November, which I fully expect she will, um, I I think the governor will just overturn it. Oh, the new governor will overturn that law. Yeah. Well, you know, right now, uh, as of, I guess, last month, the numbers for New York, 41,000 people have moved out of New York since the pandemic. And they moved to Florida. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, California is going through the same thing. You know, there's a, a mass exodus out of California right now. And a lot of those folks are moving to um, Texas and Arizona, New Mexico, you know, trying to stay within that climate that they enjoy, but uh, getting out of California. And the uh, the unfortunate side of that, as we know, is that, um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of them take their politics with them. Yeah, well. You know what? You're moving out of a place because you don't like it there and you don't like the politics. Why are you bringing those politics someplace else? Right, right. Yeah. Don't, uh, don't, don't, don't turn what you led, don't turn where you're going into what you left. You know, it's, um, you know, <laughs> it, we're seeing a lot of that with uh, uh, the immigration system also. They're bringing their culture here and we are a melting pot and, you know, where that's the way it's going to be, where someplace like Italy basically shut down their uh, borders because they don't want to dilute their culture. Right. So, you know, uh, should states shut down their borders and say, sorry, you're not coming? <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's a definite problem that needs fixed on. I'm not smart enough to know how to fix it. So, <laughs> guess what? Well, a little I mean, of my pay grade as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, tell me about what you're working on at uh, Bowden right now. So, uh, we are a OEM manufacturer of uh, 
parts for the AR platform. I'm sure, you know, when you talked to Andy a couple of weeks ago, he told you all that, you know, um, we make parts for a lot of different companies, uh, some very big companies all the way down to uh, little one man operations that, you know, we have a guy in uh, uh, Wisconsin and he's, he doesn't mind me using his name, Andy Hobean from uh, Grendel Hunter. You know, he started with us a few years ago. Um, he was building guns in his uh, living room and his wife got tired of him working in the living room and she kicked him to the garage and he's building building stuff in his garage and you know next thing you know he's he's got to move out of his garage his business is growing we're making parts for him we're helping him design parts that give him a signature look you know a look that nobody else has and uh you know he's got his own retail space next thing you know he's got his own shop and uh he just bought a new house with a bunch of property and he built a, a an outbuilding and he's got his own outdoor range. He can open up the back window and sight his guns in. And wow. He, he he's uh you know grown his business quite nicely over the last half a dozen years. And uh, you know, we're proud to say we've helped we've helped with that, you know. It's nice to be a part of something that grows like that, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's really cool to watch a guy go from you know, this little dream that he has of, of of the industry that he wants to work in and trying to figure it out to uh, actually, you know, doing it and making a living and actually, you know, being able to uh, upgrade his lifestyle, his personal lifestyle. Sure. Yeah, it's really cool. Now, I got to say, when we were in uh, Montana, I did have the opportunity to uh, play around with some of your uh, creations. And uh, they're they're great. <laughs> they're Thanks. comfortable. They they're reliable, and and they precision right on target. Yeah, I, I you know we're uh, we're we're proud of our quality. We make sure you know I uh, I'm a gun guy, but I'm just an average guy, and uh, you know I I have an idea of what I want to pay for stuff. You know I don't want to you know. Um, Am I going to go out and buy a $400 handguard? No, that's not me. You know, am I going to go out and, am I uh, going to go out and buy a $2,500 AR? No, that's not me. You know, but I want, I want good stuff. I don't want junk either. Good. You know, so it, it, finding that happy medium, finding that balance of uh, quality versus cost. And yeah. uh, it's, you know, and we stand behind our products a hundred percent. Um, you know, I, I guarantee we've made a bad part. I guarantee uh, I, I can absolutely tell you that, uh, you know, we've had a customer call us up and say, hey, this doesn't this doesn't work or this isn't right or, uh, you know, this isn't working the way it's supposed to or this broke or that broke. And, man, we it's no questions asked with us, you know, send it back and we'll send you another one. And, you know, sometimes even, hey, you know, they send me a picture of what happened here. Here's what's going on. And I'm like, okay, that thing's junk. Throw it away. I'm going to send you another one. And, you know, that's just the way we are. Um, you know, customer service is a uh, a dying thing in this country. It, it really <laughs> is. It, it's it's it, a dying go to the, thing. Go to the website and, and speak to the person online. That's that's the new way to do it. Right, right. And, and uh, I like speaking to people. And I know a lot of people that I uh, in the outdoor industry... They like to be able to pick up the phone and 
and talk to somebody as well. Right. I mean, if I get an email and it's a quality concern, um, you know, I'm on it immediately. If a phone call comes in and it's a quality concern, the sales team is on it immediately and uh, we get it resolved as quick as we can. You know, the uh, word of mouth is your best advertising and bad yeah. word of mouth is, in, especially in today's world with social media and, uh, you know, the internet and the way you, you the, the whole world can talk to each other, you know, a, a few unhappy customers can really get out there and make a lot of noise that sure. do a lot of damage. One leads to two, two to lead to four, four sure. to four to eight, and it just keeps on going. Well, let's uh, let's take a step back and and talk about the customer service. Um, somebody calls, uh, they lost a spring or it didn't come with a, a piece that they need. Uh, they pick up the phone. What's the chain of command? How does that how does that happen? Uh, most of the time, stuff like that comes in either through a phone call or an email. And like I said, the emails come to both me and the sales department. Um, I typically jump right on those. And, and we've had them here just recently. You know, hey, I was, uh, I, I was switching this part over to this part, and I lost that little clip that holds the, you know, the little retaining key that holds the handguard on. Um, where can I buy one? And, you know, my, my response is I copy shipping. Here's the guy's address. Here's his order number. Send him another one. And we'll, we send them out, you know, there's no charge. There's no charge for that kind of stuff. Uh, somebody breaks a spring or loses a spring, um, whatever it is, you know, uh, we're gonna uh, do our best to keep the customer happy. Um, we're a small enough company that typically either myself or the uh, vice president of sales actually handles those complaints and, uh, you know, gets them dealt with immediately so uh, that's a that's a problem across the board these days um customer service and not just uh, our industry every industry you call up you got an automated system and they you go around and around what do you think that is is it uh a work issue they can't get people to work is it just uh automation what, what do you think it is um I guess a little bit of it is, uh, um, you know, I, I, I have to assume or I want to give the companies the benefit of the doubt that they want to do the right thing. Um, you know, like I said, we're a small company, so we're small enough that, you know, we can deal with it on a personal level. You start dealing with a international or multi-billion dollar company or corporation, obviously they don't have the time to... Uh, or the manpower to sit and deal, you know, with each and every call, maybe, you know, they're getting 20 or 30 calls an hour or whatever it is, you yeah. know, they do an automated system. And I, I just, I hate automated systems, punch this to do this, punch yeah. this to do that, or they outsource it to uh, a foreign country. And, um, you know, the language barrier becomes an issue then when you're trying to talk to someone don't give up your issue, sir. I don't, you know, I, I hate to be like that, but it, it's true. There's a language barrier there that makes it hard to um, yep. hard to communicate. Okay, Let, let's use this example. Um, my flight to Montana was a complete screw up. 
I got there a day late, nothing but issues. Uh, I called the airline and I was on hold. And I was on hold and I was on hold. I held on for a good 45 minutes. Didn't get anywhere. Then I went into the automated system. Press two for complaints. Press three for refunds. Plus four for whatever. Uh, so I had to go through email. It's been four months. It just got resolved. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I guess some of it is uh, uh, lack of manpower. Um, I think that's a big part of it. I, yeah. I think people are comfortable staying home, getting paid, and not doing anything, as opposed to, I don't know, get up, go to work. Right. I was up four o'clock this morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was up at five and, you know, get myself ready to come into the office. And uh, you know, my wife works from home and uh, she's in the insurance industry, uh, automobile insurance. And, uh, you know, they they went home when the pandemic started. And uh, so many of these companies um, discovered that, you know, the, hey, this, this works. Uh, we're getting... Okay, maybe we're not getting a hundred percent productivity like we were when they were in the office, but we're not paying electricity and we're not paying a maintenance staff and we're not paying cleaning and we're not paying, you know, there's a there's a trade-off. You know, okay, we're losing 10 or 20% of productivity, but we're saving all this money over here. So yeah. we're actually saving money. We'll we'll write off the 10 or 20% of productivity and save all this money over here. So now, yeah. has, has Bowden had an issue getting people to come to work or hiring people or keeping keeping things up to par? Because um, I see people walking around the factory behind you. Yeah, sure. There's a bunch of people out here working today. Um, it is a struggle. Uh, you know, we would hire right now as busy as we are. Um, so, like I said, the gun industry kind of settled down a little bit and is, is kind of even keel right now. Uh, the aerospace side of our company, we are kind of two separate companies here. We are a standard aerospace machine shop, and then we have the gun side of it. Um, the aerospace side is starting to pick up now, and we're starting to get more and more work there. Uh, as you know, we're coming out of the pandemic, people are starting to fly again, people are starting to travel, all yeah. that kind of is starting to come back. Um, we would hire 15 or 20 people right now if we could get them. Um, getting people to walk in off the street has proven difficult. You know, we put yeah. signs out, we put ads out, uh, you know, maybe we get one or two people a week that show up for those. Um, where we've had a lot of success is going to the colleges. Uh, you know, here in Cleveland, Ohio, we got uh, Case Western Reserve. We got Akron U. We got some great engineering schools here. And uh, we go to the job fairs and the career fairs and we hit the uh, engineering students, you know, and offer them a place to come and learn how to make stuff. Right? The, the, the best engineer in my mind is the kid or the guy that has actually ran a machine and made some parts and he understands how to cut metal. He understands how... Uh, 
tools work. He understands how a drill works. He understands speeds and feeds. He understands tool wear. You know, he understands all this stuff. Uh, uh, a college-educated engineer, he can draw something up and he can say, okay, here it is. I designed it. Now make it. Well, yeah. how, how are you going to do this? This right here is, how are you going to do that? Well, I don't know. I drew it. You make it. Well, you yeah. know, having that knowledge that they, they're out here learning right now, and so many of these kids, you know, are out here are on internships or co-ops, um, the, the knowledge that they get learning how to make stuff translates into their ability to, to, to design stuff that is actually manufacturable, that yeah. someone can actually make without a whole lot of headaches. There's always headaches when it comes to manufacturing. Manufacturing will, you know, it's just, they go hand in hand, headaches and manufacturing. But to design something that doesn't have the head headaches already built into it is where that that knowledge of, that they're getting out there on the floor, getting their hands dirty and making stuff is where they really shine. When they eventually decide to leave us and move on to bigger and better things, you know, and the, and the beauty is of it too, when they go out and they're in a different company and they're designing stuff and they're making stuff and they're like, oh, we need a machine shop to make this. Oh, hey, this place I used to work. They make stuff like that. Let's give them yep. a call. So, you know, they're kind of ambassadors for us too when they launch out into the world. Sure. So you're a hands-on guy. What's your favorite part of being a Bowden? Um, you know, I, I transitioned over the years. Um, I, I actually, when I started here 18 years ago, I was right out there on the floor running those machines. And uh, I went to school, learned some uh, CAD CAM, uh, you know, learned some design stuff and I, I, over the years, I've transitioned, you know, at one time I was a lead man in the lathe department out on the floor, and then I moved into the office and I started doing some design work and some programming, uh, you know, with the CAD CAM system. Um, and now I'm more into the customer service, marketing. Uh, I still do some design stuff, and, and if I had to... Uh, if I had to say what I really like, it's that design stuff, you know, coming, yeah. uh, someone coming to me with an idea and saying, hey, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I want. And being able to design something up for them and say, okay, what do you think of this? All right, well, tweak that and tweak this and tweak that. And I think we got it, you know, and then making that part for them and, and launching down the road into something that, uh, that has their signature look to it. And the, and the, uh, the designing of new products, solving problems within the industry. Um, you know, we've gotten we've got two patents now. Uh, we got a patent on a retention system for uh, locking handguards onto a gun so that they don't slide off. And then uh, we got a patent on our new ARV, the little pistol MP5 kind of clone handguards. That's and we've got, we've got another patent in the works right now. And we've got a fourth one that we're working on that uh, is in the research phase right now. The uh, the lawyers are looking into the patentability of it. And, uh, you know, that kind of stuff, designing something completely new, taking a problem or taking a missing something in the marketplace and saying, let me see if I can make something that's going to... Uh, 
be really cool or looking or cool functioning that nobody else is doing. And then coming out the other end with something that, you know, is, uh, is new and fresh and, you know, getting a patent. Uh, I always thought that would be the coolest thing in the world, you know, Hey, you know, you're going to get a patent. You're going to get your name on that little piece of paper and it's, it's registered, <laughs> you know, and there's like what, nine or 10 million patents out there right now. You know, we're, we're patent a couple of our patents are 9 million something. So you, you think about that, you know, there's, you know, patents have been around for hundred plus years and we've got 300 million people in this country and, there's only 9 million and something patents. So not a lot of people get to put their name on one of those. And that's really cool when you can. It means there's always room for something. Yes. Yeah, always yeah. room for improvement on something or a different design. And right. I got to say, I appreciate guys like you that uh, build the stuff that we love to play with. Yeah. I like just sitting at the computer and... To, you know, designing stuff, and then no, that uh, I don't like that. Wipe that out and start over, and and just keep tweaking it until it's like there it is. That's that's it. That's the one. Let's try to make one of those, and then go, you know, getting the guys out on the floor to actually make one, putting it on a gun, testing it, you know, running it through a torture test, shooting a bunch of ammo with it. You know, that's always a lot of fun. Going to the range and just torture testing the heck out of stuff, and it's. Uh, it's a it's a fun industry when it's been your lifestyle and you get to make it your way of life. You know, it's it's your way of life and you get to make it your way to make a living. It's just really cool. It's not really work at that point. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I, I definitely appreciate you taking the time to speak to us today, Jim. And uh where can we uh find out more about uh Bowden Tactical? So we have two websites, um, BowdenTactical.com is our business-to-business -business site, and that's where the companies that are looking to buy, you know, large quantity parts, uh, private label parts, that kind of stuff, that's this website that they're going to use. And then we have BYOAR.com, which stands for Build Your Own AR, and that's where we sell, you know, the individual stuff to the consumers. The, uh, you know, a guy wants a handguard or he wants an upper or he wants uh, a, a grip. He wants a vertical foregrip or an angled foregrip, whatever it might be. We make all that kind of stuff, you know, all the little bolt-on. Um, we are not an FFL, so we don't do lowers, mm -hmm. uh, but we do just about everything else. And we don't make everything here. Um, there are some parts that we do farm out. Um, there are companies that uh, have the, you know, we don't make barrels. We don't have the proper machinery to make barrels, but we buy barrels from a reputable country company right here in the United States and they make our barrels for us. So, uh, you know, we, we pride ourselves on everything we use or have being American made. So you actually, uh, your kits come with the trigger assembly, but it don't come with the lower. Correct. The like when you buy a uh, build kit from us, um, it, it has absolutely everything in it you need to put rounds down range, except for the lower receiver. We even go as far as to include a set of iron sights and a ten round magazine, so that the minute you put that gun together, you're ready to rock. And you know the the ten round magazine, obviously, 
we do that because we don't always know where the kits are going and we want to make sure that everybody's legal. And, you know, there are places in the country where 10 round magazines are the law. So we provide everybody with a 10 round magazine. And then if you want to go get your standard capacity magazine from there, then you're, you know, you go get that yourself. Go online. You could find it anywhere. Sure. <laughs> All right. I, I definitely appreciate you coming on. I look forward to seeing you at uh, SHOT Show in January. And Absolutely. We'll have to hook up and uh, have lunch or dinner some night. I just, I just booked my tickets. I'm ready to rock. Yeah, we'll be there all week. So, yeah, definitely. Let's hook up and uh, do something in Vegas. All right. Let's cause some trouble. All right. Thanks again, Jim. Appreciate your time. Yeah. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference.